Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Well, life is starting to get back to normal here in the States post-pandemic. The small island country of New Zealand has been living relatively COVID-free for almost a year now. And live music is thriving there. Aisha Jaffer reports on how New Zealand focused on its local music scene in a way they never have before and sees music as a key pillar to recovery once the global pandemic is over. Let's go down to the tennis court and talk it up like, yeah. New Zealand as a whole has a population roughly the same as the state of South Carolina. New Zealanders, or Kiwis, have often thought that to make it big, like Lord Big, they needed to focus on touring outside of New Zealand to gain a substantial following. But with the borders closed, that wasn't an option during the pandemic. Instead, the New Zealand government decided to invest in their local music scene. Kath Anderson is the chief executive of the New Zealand Music Commission. The government actually announced a huge landmark part of spending. $374 million was going to be invested into the arts over three years. And that is the biggest single investment that has ever been made in the arts sector in New Zealand. And the reason that the government did that is they saw the arts sector as a key part of the national recovery. New Zealand is thinking of recovery, even though they weren't hit by the pandemic quite as hard as many other places in the world. The first case of the virus landed in New Zealand on February 28th, and by the end of March of 2020, the entire country was in lockdown. New Zealand went and stayed at home for the best part of six weeks, and um, then we had very limited access to be able to be out and about for another month or so after that. But luckily, uh, because it was so strict, and people really did adhere to the rules quite sort of fastidiously, by June of last year, the country was open again and people were able to go out and gather. On June 8, 2020, New Zealand removed all remaining lockdown restrictions except for their border controls that restricted foreign traveler entry. Being an isolated island nation was advantageous to stop the spread of the virus. Once the pandemic was under control, New Zealand got to have live music again. The first gigs out, it was like New Year's Eve. I went and saw a three-band lineup on the first day that things were open at a, a little club. And people were crowd surfing from the first song. And that continued for a number of months in New Zealand, actually, where Every show was full, everything was selling out, and people were just so grateful to be able to get out and see live music again. To date, there have been a few short nationwide lockdowns, but otherwise the country has remained relatively open for gatherings. During the pandemic, the New Zealand government invested in music and the arts, and it's something they will continue to invest in in the coming years. Getting people out of their homes again getting people going into public spaces and using facilities again. The, the arts were going to be very central to that. So they wanted to look at this investment as something that would mean that the arts sector didn't just survive, it would kind of adapt and it would thrive. 
Music venues are central to the conversation of investing in New Zealand's music infrastructure, giving people access to shows who otherwise didn't have access, and providing more places for New Zealand artists to play within their country has been a focus for the New Zealand Music Commission. We invested in the venues because we wanted there to be a great venue infrastructure for the next two years when international travel is looking less likely. We did investment grants to upgrade their facilities, to make them easier for New Zealand artists to go and perform at. And we really focused on supporting venues outside of the main centres as well. Because like many countries, you know, your populations are really kind of focused in a few areas. There's a whole lot of other parts of the country that don't necessarily get any sort of national tours visiting their towns. Not only are they investing in venues throughout the country, they are also investing in the future through all ages shows. The other part is when you've got venues who predominantly you know, sell drinks and that's how they're making their money, taking the punt on doing all ages shows is a big ask for a venue and a big ask for an artist. So if we can help support more young people to be able to see shows as well, then that's going to be really useful for making sure there is an audience in the future. Matt Hellriegel is part owner of an all-ages venue called The Plant, which is about four hours away from the nearest major city. And even his 80-capacity small-town venue was able to purchase enough gear and equipment to properly host shows thanks to these national funds. Before the infrastructure fund, we were the total epitome of the DIY thing, I feel like. We borrowed a PA system from a band, and we didn't have a stage. And so, you know, we could see the, the shock on some fans' faces when they turned up and realized that this was the ghetto. So the infrastructure fund just helped us. It made us feel like a real venue, finally. Helfriegel has noticed this new change fulfilling the need for more opportunity for emerging New Zealand musicians. New Zealand's such a small country, and there aren't so many places to play. And so I think that there seems to be a hunger from the musicians that they want to get out and play as many spots as possible. So I think it's just really important to have more spots. Marlon Williams was born and raised in New Zealand, and on a normal year, he spends a lot of time touring internationally. But during the pandemic, he has been to more places and played more shows within his home country than ever before. I connected with him on his tour this past March. Last night I played show number 22 of a 27-date tour. 27 stops in New Zealand is a big deal. Artists here are generally limited to four stops in the four major cities over the North and South Island. There are so many ways to have a career in this country and there are so many places that, yeah, that I wouldn't normally get the time to go and bring music to. So it's, I mean, you play 27 shows in New Zealand and you've got to be going to a lot of small places. Without the need to spend as much time hopping from plane to plane and going from one country to another to perform, Williams had more time to reconnect with the native language, te reo Māori, through his music. I've had this feeling inside me that I need to get back in touch with the language and I love singing in it so much. It's, it's such a, an easy and natural language to sing in. And then of course the pandemic hits and what better time than now to 
delve into that. Williams now performs 40% of his sets in Te Reo Māori and shares a road story that may not have happened if he had not been able to spend this time connecting in New Zealand. He was graced by a couple in the audience with the haka, which is an honored ceremony and Māori dance often presented in various ways using the whole body. There can be use of facial expressions, swaying, foot stamping, chants, and more. A haka is many things. It can be a a precursor to war, or it can be a, a way of giving thanks. It's a very ritualized but beautiful experience. This ended up being one of William's favorite shows, and after finishing the set and hearing the haka, he went back out on stage to pay his respects to this honor. And it was this beautiful couple who were crying with joy while they were p- performing this haka to me, you know, out of just sheer thanks for you know, for being able to hear the Māori and, and, and for being able to hear music in this time, you know. So it's, it's been a really um, soul food experience. More New Zealanders are discovering, gaining access and connecting to more New Zealand music than ever before. With borders closed, some artists have been able to grow and gain more opportunities within the national scene, sliding into festival slots that would otherwise be occupied by international groups. The best were one of the groups over the last year who remained constant headliners. Here's Elizabeth Stokes from The Beths. Locally, it's definitely been a really good year for us. I feel like we kind of grew our profile a little bit in a way that is quite important to us because we live here. We don't really want to like move away and live somewhere else. And so it, it means a lot to us to feel like we can have a career in New Zealand. Last July, the best released their record Jump Rope Gazers with a global plan in mind. As a result of the border restrictions, the group adapted and sustained themselves economically with a focus on and the support within New Zealand. So 2020 was looking to be quite a profitable year of touring. And then that looked like it was dead (laughs) and we thought there was going to be nothing. And then we ended up doing quite extensive New Zealand tour, which we normally wouldn't have done. We would have probably just done, you know, like the main four cities. And then we did yeah kind of bigger shows than we normally would have and so we ended up making a good amount of money on that tour which was was able to kind of support us we've had on the whole a pretty good last year definitely not as bad as we thought it was going to be and that's because we were able to play but if we hadn't been able to play it would have been very very stark still the question remains what would have happened for the best if the borders were open? In terms of internationally, I think it's definitely a similar boat to everybody else in the world where if you're releasing a record and you're not able to tour it, it definitely has an impact. And we have no way of knowing empirically what that impact was. I returned to Kath Anderson for her overview of this pandemic's effect on New Zealand music's international export. People who would generally be touring the world, you know, those people can't travel. So their world market is cut off to them to a large degree. You think of someone like the Beths who are on a really strong trajectory with their shows just getting bigger and bigger overseas, and now they've had to stay at home. That side of it's been really difficult because we've got all these artists who would normally be working in different countries, and now everyone is looking at working here. On the positive side, I think there actually is a kind of 
general national gratefulness. It's clear that investing inward in the arts and providing infrastructure for people to gather around music has helped grow some true national pride around the country's artists and has created a more sustainable music scene for the future. The other thing which is interesting is people realizing that New Zealand artists can actually sell out the venues that internationals normally would. So I think there's going to be this really great confidence and the ability of our artists to do these big shows in the long term that perhaps people didn't have before. And we want it to be the New Zealand artists who are selling 12,000 tickets a night, as well as the internationals who are very much looking forward to welcoming back to our shores. You often hear support local, and that's exactly what New Zealand did. Because of this, more artists feel they can now sustain a career locally, and it turns out when you're forced to look for opportunities within the borders you have, maybe you don't have to rely on going elsewhere to make it. In typical New Zealand style, Kiwis are humbled and grateful for this experience, and like the rest of the globe, are looking forward to connecting with the outside world again. Here's New Zealand's homegrown talent, Marlon Williams. We really feel for the rest of the world. We really do. In a very classic Kiwi way, we're very like shyly grateful to have the freedoms that we do, but guilty about it at the same time. And I can't wait until the dots can join again. That's just going to be a, a really incredible time when it happens. Looking forward to seeing the rest of the world. For KEXP Sound and Vision, I'm Aisha Jaffer. Friends sing together. La 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 la. Friends do things together. La 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 la. Friends laugh together. Ha, 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 ha. Friends make graphs together. La, 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 la. Friends help you when you're in danger. Friends are people who are not strangers. Friends this is Sound and Vision. Meanwhile, musician Amanda Palmer, who usually calls New York State home, has been living in New Zealand since the pandemic started. New Zealand was the last stop on an international solo tour. She was scheduled to play four dates between March 12th through March 16th in 2020. She had to cancel the last date on the tour, and instead of flying back home, she stayed in New Zealand so she could raise her child in safety. She's done it mostly as a single mother. Her music has had to take a back seat during this time, but she's been able to observe New Zealand's music scene from an outside perspective. Here's her story. When I first decided to stay, I certainly wasn't signing up for a year or a year and a half. I thought that I was just making a wise and conservative decision to keep me and my kid out of harm's way for a couple weeks <laughs> or or maybe or if things got crazy a month. And how old's your kid by the way? He was 4 when it happened. He's almost 6 now. It's crazy, isn't it? I haven't I haven't seen my home country or my house or any of my stuff in going on 2 years because I had been touring my last album for 7 months up until the moment this happened, New Zealand was the last stop on on a year-long tour that I had been doing, which was actually really like the first big tour I had put together since having a kid. So this was just bananas. I almost didn't board the flight to New Zealand because the COVID stuff was getting crazy. 
And I was like, oh God, go to another country, cross a border. What if things get really weird? What if I'm separated from my kid and husband? But, you know, everyone around me made reassuring noises and I went anyway. And I got to New Zealand and things were immediately strange because things weren't improving. They were getting weirder by the day. I did my shows in Auckland. There was a lot of hand sanitizer. There was a lot of worry, but shows weren't getting canceled yet. And then by the time I got to my show in Christchurch, I wanted to cancel it, but the venue didn't. We got, even got into a kind of a fight backstage. I wound up doing the show. There was lots of hand sanitizer. Remember those days where it was like all about the hand sanitizer? Um, and then and then I canceled my very last show of tour, which was in Wellington. And then the next day, everything shut started to shut down. And... It was funny because at the time I was comparing notes with my friends in America and they were talking about their quote unquote lockdowns, but they were also talking about like going places and getting takeout. And I was like, what do you mean? That's not lockdown. Like we're in lockdown. <laughs> and the way New Zealand did it, it was like everything shut down except grocery store and hospital. If you didn't work at a grocery store or work at a hospital, you stayed at home. You couldn't go swimming. You couldn't go bike riding. You, everyone just like shut themselves in and you, you were allowed to walk around your neighborhood. That was it. And if you got in a car and go to, you know, went to leave your neighborhood, the cops would stop you and be like, hey, where are you, where are you going? And if you said, oh, I'm going to visit my grandma, they'd be like, no, <laughs> go home. <laughs> And the whole country did that for six weeks and COVID totally got squashed. So, I mean, what was supposed to be the end of this tour? You're supposed to have four dates in New Zealand and now it's been more than a year and you're still in New Zealand. Why, again, stay for, for that that long of a time? And, and what has the experience been for you? Well, every single decision that I've made has just been based around my child and what the safest and best place for him to be is for, especially for his mental health. And so there were times where I was really tempted to go back to New York, but I just kept saying, you know, I don't have to go home quite yet. And things there are not looking good. I'm just going to tough it out in New Zealand another couple of weeks and see how things play out. And if you read anything about New York, Things were not playing out very well. And you're based in the city? No, um, my office is in the city, but we have a house in upstate New York in Woodstock, about two hours north of um, the city. So while I could have gone home and probably lived a, a pretty comfortable lockdown life compared to my friends in the city, I had this whole other alternative that nobody I knew had, which is to live a life without COVID where Ash never ever even knew what social distancing was and never saw a kid in a mask ever. He still hasn't. And I, I just kept choosing that for him. And I got him into a school and we've made friends in New Zealand and we've just been living this weird life here, but it's also been really lonely. And, and mostly I just committed myself to motherhood so Neil came over to New Zealand briefly, but then he, he took off and I wound up being a single mother for nine months. 
So on top of everything, I was doing this without a partner. And, you know, I didn't try to make any art. I didn't try to write any songs. I didn't try to do anything but just survive and try to make a sort of a as delightful as possible experience for this poor five-year-old who's like, I don't know what's happening. And as an artist, that's been really humbling. And also just like, I have culture shock. I still have culture shock being in New Zealand. This place is really weird. It's, it's very different from America. And, um, and I've befriended a lot of musicians and I've talked, I've talked to a lot of musicians in New Zealand about their experiences in general and also their experiences of this time. You know, most of the musicians that I've been meeting here are like mid-list to upper list indie musicians who were all going to tour. They were going to go be at South by Southwest. They were going to be touring the States for the first time. They were going to go tour Europe for the seventh time. They were going to pay their rent by doing what they usually do. And instead, they all wound up with these weird plan Bs in New Zealand. And every single one of them that I've talked to has has had a pretty Zen attitude towards what they've found in their backyard and what they've, you know, in some cases, what they've had to confront about their feelings about their own country, you know, cause New Zealand is a place, you know, everyone will tell you that the New Zealand's a place you leave. It's kind of the end. It's like the last subway stop. It's like, <laughs> it's the end of the world. So most people, they leave here to tour. They leave here to succeed. They leave here to go make money and find success and a name for themselves. And it's part of the New Zealand identity that people take off. America, you know, Americans don't really understand that, especially New Yorkers. It's like, we don't leave New York. I mean, we can, but we come back. It's like where everything is happening. New Zealand never gets to feel that. You know, New Zealand's a little island that has an inferiority complex to Australia. <laughs> like, so, you know, like it's really, it's also a very small community. There are less people in this entire country than there are in New York City. There are 5 million people here. It's just not a lot of folks. So also everybody knows everybody else's business. It's a really small music industry. Everybody's played in everybody else's bands. Everybody knows every single venue and promoter and manager. It's teeny weeny. That was Amanda Palmer talking about her time in New Zealand. She still isn't quite sure when she'll move back home to New York. That was Sound and Vision. Before you go, please take one minute to do something that would go a long way. Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps make the podcasts you love more discoverable to other people. Also, KEXP is a public radio station based in Seattle. The majority of the funding to make this show possible comes from listeners. It's a beautiful funding model and keeps corporate interests out. You can help financially support this show by giving a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org sound. Thanks for listening.